following with us the last four weeks. We've been going through the whole issue of Advent and learning about God with us. So I don't know about you, I hope you're all ready for Christmas and uh, that everything's all ready at home and everything's all ready to go. But the whole focus about Christmas is about Jesus Christ. <clears throat> if you've been journeying with us the past four weeks, we've talked about the arrival of Christ and its importance, the light of the world, Emmanuel, God with us. As you know by now, Advent is a season of expectations, a time of looking forward to Christ's coming, because what Christ does by coming is bringing peace to man on earth. Our last, this previous Sunday, actually yesterday, we showed the clip of the truce of 1914, where we saw what happened during World War I, where the Germans and the English soldiers, during Christmas time, the, actually the Allied soldiers heard the Germans singing Silent Night in German, Stille Nacht, Heilige Nacht. And as they sang that, the English soldiers chimed in and they began to sing together. And all of a sudden, through that whole process of Christmas, a truce was established in the enemy lines in World War I. It had never happened before, but Christmas meant something. Christmas is about peace. Mind you, if you're in the malls, uh, it's not about peace. It's about getting your present, right? And trying to work that whole out. But as you know now, the week of Advent is focused on the different aspect of Christ's character as embodied in the terms of Jesus being hope, love, joy, and peace. And as you look at that, uh, Matthew took, shone a little light on the subject in the Gospel of Matthew where he said this, All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet, A virgin will conceive and give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. And the whole idea again is that Jesus Christ was going to come into the world to save the world from sin. Does humanity today know that the world is really a sinful place? You say, well, sometimes. But the, the issue that really comes up is that people really don't recognize that Jesus really is the answer to the world's needs. People have so many ideas about what it's going to take to make the world a better place. We sing a lot of songs. We have a lot of concerts. We try to establish peace treaties. But in all honesty, does it work? Not really. And yet... The Christmas story is a powerful story, filled with wonder, miracles, and very real life. We've walked through the different parts of the Christmas story, and we've seen that Christ brought hope, love, joy, peace through the whole process. But yet Christ came through God's intervention to a world that needed saving. And the idea here about saving, you say, well, does the world really need to be saved? Uh, yeah, it does. Because as we look at this world, it's, there's a sense of loss, there's a sense of hopelessness. And you say, well, you sound pretty pessimistic about the world. It's actually a pretty decent place. Well, I don't know if you've been watching the news lately, but uh, as I look at the news, uh, I don't come away from feeling really good about this world. You say, you must be listening to the CBC. It's always talking about the negative. And I say, well, it's just not the CBC. If you, you look across the different networks, you'll see that the portrayal of what's happened in this world is not very good. But yet God with us brings hope in this season. Because we can look to man for the answers. And my friend, man does not have the answers to the world's issues. Never did, never will. But the idea again is that Christ, as he's come into this world as a babe in a manger, came to rescue humanity from sin. Mind you, as I talk to people, sometimes people will say to me, well, Pastor, well, oh, I'm, I'm not really a sinner. I said, oh, really? 
you're the first person I've met that actually has said that. Actually, no, I've met a few mother, but then I talked to their mothers or I talked to their husbands, and I found out a very sense, a deep sense of reality that, yeah, you are a sinner. <laughs> you did things that were wrong. And somebody says, well, how do I know I'm a sinner? Well, yeah, just go through Exodus chapter 20, reread the Ten Commandments, walk through every one of them, and then see if you how you measure up. If you come out looking really good, well, um, I'd be surprised because even I don't look so good when I go through the Ten Commands. The whole story of Jesus' life actually begins with Zechariah in the Gospel of Matthew. And the message to Zechariah was an interesting one where he was offering uh, a sacrifice to God on behalf of the people. And he has an angelic encounter with an angel who tells him that he and his wife Elizabeth are going to have a baby. You talk to a couple that's in their 70s and 80s and say, hey, guess what? You're having a baby. That would be kind of, that would rock your world. That would make the Windsor Star headlines. Couple has baby at 80. It would shock. And so Zachariah was shocking. And as he looked at that whole perspective, he, he didn't really believe. It's too good to be true because he and Elizabeth have been praying for a long time for a baby. But ever since the fall of Adam and Eve, God had been caring for his people and making a way to restore them. And to us himself, he formed a covenant with Abraham and promising the blessing of Christ to all people through Abraham's family. And what was that blessing? If you look in Genesis chapter 12, verses 1 and 2, you'll take a look at what it says. It says, in your seed, all the nations of the earth will be blessed. He said, and that was the, the, the forethought that there would be a Messiah that would come to redeem people from their sin. Isaiah fanned the flames of that by saying this in Isaiah 9, 6, and 7. You've probably seen these perhaps on your Facebook page or on your Instagrams. It says, For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government will be upon his shoulders. And he'll be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the greatness of his government and peace there will be no end. He'll reign on David's throne and over his kingdom, establishing and upholding it with justice and righteousness from that time on and forever. The zeal of the Lord Almighty will accomplish that. So even Isaiah, way back, prophesied that there would be a Messiah. But the question is, uh, you know, as he, as he told that story, he was saying to Israel, there's hope, there's hope, and hope is coming because what? God has a plan. But how is your hope today? Whether your heart is light or your spirit is deep in despair, let me encourage you that God with us brings hope that sparks like a fire. God can bring hope to the human condition. God can bring hope in your lives. And so how do you do that? How do you focus on hope? Well, you can focus on gratitude. What's that gratitude? We talked about that. Gratitude is kind of just taking time to remember what has God done in your life. And sometimes we forget to what I would call counter blessings. We stop to, somebody says, count the roses or smell the roses. Well, that's another way of phrasing it. But really the idea is that we take time to focus on what has God done in my life lately? Uh, and start looking back. Actually, start writing down. And you can start singing that hymn if you still remember the hymn. Count your blessings, name them one by one, and it will surprise you what the Lord has done. Sometimes we keep thinking about the things I don't have instead of thinking, Lord, thank you for the things you have given me, for the things you've blessed me with, the things you've encouraged me. Collectively, we can be all thankful for God's gift of His Son, that He sent His Son Christ to die for us. Individually, we can remember and pay attention to ways and times God, God has showed up in our lives and done things for us beyond our imagination. But if you don't know the Lord, that's another story. 
And yet, it's prepared for us all this season that the God of hope would fill us with joy, with peace, so that as you trust in him, you may be overflowed with hope by the power of his Holy Spirit, that he would fill you with that hope, with encouragement that only comes from following after him. God, our God, is a God of hope. And so God also knows a God of hope, but he's also a God of love. We talked about that as well. Anyway, we talked about the love story of Mary and Joseph, a young couple who were betrothed to each other to be married. Not only betrothed, they were actually he had signed the marriage contract. He sat down with the village elders, and he'd written out a thing. He probably had to pay a dowry to Mary's father to take her as a bride, a little different back then. And Mary and Joseph's story was actually written by God himself. And so it's a love story. And we saw the love between Mary and Joseph, but even as they were ready to get married, before the marriage could be consummated, Mary found herself with child. And what went through her mind, she says, how can it be since I am a virgin? Again, another miracle. And that's one thing you have to get used to as you read the Bible. God is a God of miracles. You know, we sometimes forget that. People say, well, yeah, because, you know, somebody asked me, I was actually visiting a young couple that come to our church, said, hey, do you believe in what we call, what do you believe about creation? Well, I said, I believe God created the heavens and the earth in six literal 24-hour days. He rested the seventh. But frankly, I said, to be honest with you, they said, yeah, if you want to do it in 10 seconds, you could. Like one, you could just, they said, really? I said, yeah, because I said, here's a question for you. How big is your God? My God, he can do it anytime he wants. That's the God I believe in. But sometimes we forget that God is a God of miracles. And so Mary and Joseph find themselves in a dilemma. Joseph, according to the scriptures, was ready to put her away and he was going to divorce her. And yet uh, that didn't happen because an angel of God intervened and told Joseph, the child that Mary is carrying is going to be, you shall call his name Jesus because he's going to save people from their sins. And God intervenes in this godly couple's life. And so we find through that that God entered the world as a helpless baby. God incarnate, God in the flesh, as a little baby to redeem lost humanity from their sin. Not the way many of us would do it. And he did it to a, in a family that was very lonely, a family that wasn't well off. They weren't the elite in their society, but God chose to reveal himself in a significant way, in an insignificant couple. And God continues to reveal himself in us through people that aren't worldly, wise by any standards, aren't powerful by any standards, and God just chooses to work that. Why does God do, do that in, in people that we don't expect? You know why God does that? I believe God does that because God likes to work in people's lives that people just say like, when you hear a story about God, what God did in that young couple, Mary and Joseph, you're like, really them? Yeah. So that you understand the glory always goes to God. You know, some of the stories I like the best are comeback stories. I like stories about people that the world would write off. If you look at the disciples, specifically, I was looking at the life of Peter. He was a fisherman. How many times could Jesus Christ have written off Peter? Many times. He was bold, he was outspoken, he did things that were really not that were good, and then in the end he actually denied that he knew the Lord. 
but yet Christ still loved them and used them. So that when Peter on the day of Pentecost stands up and preaches the gospel to over 3,000 people, the good news of Christ, people look at Peter, at Peter and they realize, this has to be of God. Because we know, we know the old Peter. If you jump through to the book of Acts chapter 4, you'll see that when Peter and John, after healing a man, that uh, the temple had been laid for 40 years, stand before the same council that crucified Christ. The, the words pop out of Acts that say, and they took note that these men had been with Jesus. They, actually, the old King James has it really neat. They, the Bible says this, and the old King James says, they take note that these men were ignorant men, which means they were unlearned. But the significant thing was that when God worked in their lives, people could see significantly that something's taking place, something's really taking place in these men's lives that we can't attribute to anything else but God. And God chose a couple like Mary and Joseph to bring his son, Jesus Christ, to turn the world not upside down, but right side up because the world's upside down already. The world was condemned. So God with us is love for and within and through us. Love of God is remarkable. It's transformative. Because when we share the gospel, the good news of Christ with people, we say that the gospel can transform your life. Now, when somebody says, you know, transformation, what's transformation really like? Well, there's a lot of good things about transformation. I, I like transforming cars. Anybody in there with me? If we've got an engine, let's transform the engine. Let's make it bigger. Let's make it better. Let's change the color on it. Let's put a few odds and ends on it to make it look really good and go real fast. So you can get caught by the cops and get tickets. No. Uh, but the idea is, we, we think of that word transform. But when Jesus Christ comes into our lives, he transforms us from the inside out so that even though they know what you are normally, that when Christ comes into our lives and transforms us, he changes our hearts, he changes our passion, he changes our desires, because God is all about change. So when Christ intervened at Christmas time by coming to the world as a baby in a manger, God says, I'm changing what's happening here. The world's been going down in a, in a, a slide down towards hell because of the man's inability to look after his own problems. And there's no way man could save himself from his sin and from his situation. So I, I'm going to intervene. And when I intervene, I am going to change. So when we talk about the gospel, we talk about Christ coming to a person's life and, and changing him. Understand this, when you understand the gospel of Christ, and when he comes into your life, he's going to transform your life. He's going to change it. Anybody like change? I've got a few hands. You know what usually you get when you talk about change? You get this. We like change when we are in control of the change. Your wife says, honey, you need new clothes. And she says, go to the store and get your own. You're like, okay, well, I can do that. But if she says to you, honey, you need new clothes, and I'm buying them for you, there's a certain sense of resistance to how you feel about that. We like to be in control of the things that get changed in our lives. But when Jesus Christ comes in, you're no longer in charge, and God is in the business of now transforming your life. So when God shared his love with us, 
It was with a transformative force that changes us and sweeps us into the miraculous story of God with us. As we respond to God's love for us, we find we have a greater capacity to love, and that love in our hearts expands so that we start caring about those who are lost. We start having a sense of compassion for those who are hurting. Our whole perspective changes. And so we need to start asking God to transform our lives, especially at Christmas time, because you know something? You're going to be sparing Christmas with those closest to you, at least most of you are, with your spouses, your kids, your relatives, uh, perhaps people in your businesses. And you're going to be rubbing shoulders and spending time with sometimes people you don't like. I know you haven't told me that, but it does happen. Because there are certain family members at your family gatherings that you tolerate. And as a result of that, you have to say to yourself, God, I, I want you to work through my life. You, you're, you're in the business of transforming. So, Lord, help me to love on these people even though I don't like them. Because that's what it's all, Christmas is all about. It's about Christ coming into our lives, coming into our world, not only to transform the world so that people can be saved through them, but it's also in the business of transforming your relationships and your entire life. And so... Love has come into our world in the person of Christ because Christ's love and God's love is totally different from the world's love. The world's love, there's different definitions of the Greek. You use different Greek words for, for love. There's uh, philio, which is the idea of brotherly love. There's, um, there's eros, which talks about an erotic kind of love. And then there's God's love, which is called agape love. There's different ways you can pronounce that, but the agape love means love without conditions. It's easy to love people that are nice back to you. But the scripture says in Romans 5.8, But God commendeth his love toward us, and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. You hear that? Even when you frankly didn't give a rip about God, God says, I'm showing forth my love towards you because I have chosen to love you. So God's love towards us is not based on any of things that we do. Thank you, Lord. God's love for us is based on what His Son Jesus Christ did on the cross for you and I. That's what makes the change. So you say, Pastor, that means in a sense that with people I don't like, yeah, that God calls me on to love them? Yes. Because God also said in His Word, love one another as I have loved you. Is that a challenge? Huge. Is that transforming? Absolutely. So as you look at this whole story, Elizabeth, Zachariah, Joseph, and Mary, you think to yourself that this whole issue that God coming into the world was there to, to transform. Two insignificant people, because those two mothers walked around with babies. The two babies, John the Baptist and Jesus Christ, we're going to shake that world totally, those two babies they carried. Because John the Baptist would come in the spirit of Elijah and tell Israel, it's time to repent. Repent, repent, for the kingdom of God is at hand. And through his preaching, many turned to Christ. And Jesus Christ would come, and he would also transform the world like it had never been known and never since. And through that whole process we see that there's joy and deep truth. Joy rooted in our Savior has come, lived and died, lives again, and who will return again someday to complete his ultimate work. 
Jesus said, I'm going to give a joy to people who put their faith and trust in Christ that the world can never, ever take away. Because for the world, joy is bound in circumstances. As we talked about one of the messages just a few weeks ago, we said joy was something that we choose. And it's a joy that's also a fruit of the Holy Spirit. So Christmas is a season characterized by joy because Jesus Christ has come. Now here, I want to challenge you something. As you, some of your families, you're going to get together at Christmas. You're going to get around a tree. Maybe have a little eggnog if you like eggnog. I do like eggnog. And as you do that, I'm going to ask you, what, what are the traditions you sometimes have as families before you open the presents? Let me tell you one that my parents did with me, and don't do it to your kids, but this is what happened, really. First of all, my mother, she is quite the character. She's Dutch. She's large in charge. And she says, what I want you to do, I said, yeah, uh, me and my five, four other brothers, you have to all dress up as shepherds and wise men, and you have to enact the entire Christmas story in complete detail from beginning to end before you can open your presents. Oh, my goodness. Because I want you to understand the true meaning of Christmas. You didn't argue with mom, okay? Probably the craziest play or drama you ever saw in your life that happened in our home. I didn't do that to my kids. I spared them that grief. But what I did do is this. I pulled out the Bible and I said, let's read the Christmas story from the Gospel of Luke. And I want each one of you to take turns reading through this passage. Then we're going to have prayer and then we'll celebrate. But the first thing is take time to read. Let's read the actual story of what took place. And what can we thank God for that he's done in our lives this year? Then we do the presence. Why? Because I wanted people to understand, especially my family, that the reason for Christmas is Jesus Christ and Jesus Christ alone. It's great to have the gifts, great to have the celebration, great to have the eggnog, great to have the turkey, ham, whatever you're having, great to have family around. But let's remember the reason for the season, yes, is Jesus himself. So let's rejoice in the fact that Christ has come. He also, as I said, he brings peace, but it wasn't peace for Mary and Joseph. She was giving birth really, in a cave. There was a frantic search for lodging, and uh, there was no room in the inns in that day. Kind of makes me wonder sometimes, if is there really room in our lives for Christ because of our busyness? And yet, in that situation, God brought peace. How did he start? He started with the shepherds we talked about the last Sunday, yesterday. And uh, in that process, again, God's angels came to a group of shepherds who are typically outcasts in their, in their society. Not only were outcasts, but in a court of law, you could not a shepherd could not give witness in a court of law on that day because their witness was suspect, and that's who they were. And who does Christ bring the good news, first of all? To a group of lowly shepherds on the hillside looking after sheep. And what did he say to them? I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all people, the angel said in Luke 2.10. Glory to God in the highest heaven, on the, glory to God in the highest heaven, and on earth peace to those on whom his favor rests. 
the chorus of angels sang in Luke 2.14. God had personally chosen these shepherds to bring the message. And it was a message of peace. It still is a message of peace. I think back to the truce of World War I. Men singing, Silent Night, Holy Night. And as they do, the real reason for what they're about is centered in the gospel. Silent night, holy night. All is calm, all is bright. Jesus has come into a world of darkness. Think about that. It was dark. Today, folks, we live in a world of darkness still. It's getting darker. Don't want to be pessimistic. It's getting darker. It's getting tougher to preach the gospel. It's, t- it's getting tougher to stick to the course of what does God's word really teach? What can we learn from it? The freedom of speech slowly being ebbed away as to what we are allowing in our society. And I don't have to tell you all about that. You can read that in the news. But yet Jesus Christ still is the way, the truth, and the life. And no one comes to the Father except through him. He still is the way. He still is the answer. Nothing has ever changed about the message. But how we present that message, it does change. And with that, I want to encourage you to be a light in a world of darkness. So when you gather family and friends, and somebody asks you, why are you so different? And by the way, when they say you're different, I don't want to hear that you're weird, okay? I I try to tell people here at this church, you can be Christian, but don't be weird. We got a lot of weird ducks out there that call themselves Christians. You're like, and I've seen them, and I've actually tried to talk to people, and they're like, I don't want to be a Christian. Why? Well, they, they always tell you the story about this weird Christian that talked to them and some of their weird ideas. And you're like, oh, okay, this is not good. And I said, well, don't look at the person. Look to Jesus. But the Bible also says that we're to shine as lights in this world of darkness. God's called us on to do that. How do I do that? By living a life of integrity, by living a life that displays the kindness, the joy, the peace of Christ. So people, when they look at me, can see that Christ has made a difference in my life. And I want to make a difference in your life too. And so with that, I just ask you, take time to share the real reason for the season with your families. by Read that Bible story one more time. If you can't do it with your family, do it on your own. And remember that Jesus is really the reason for the season. Let's pray. Father, thanks for your word to our hearts tonight. Lord, thank you for everyone who's here, for the many guests we have here. That's great. Lord, bless them, I pray. I pray that they might come, if they don't know you, that they would ask you to save them and come into their hearts as their, that you would come into their hearts as their Lord and Savior. The Bible says very clearly in Romans 10, Lord, that whoever calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. If you don't know Jesus, ask him to save you. He will. So, Father, I just pray that you continue to bless and encourage our hearts as we close our service with a silent night. Amen.